Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Hello and welcome to the NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Rob Worrell, and uh, while we're really excited to bring you this week's show of Pride of place has got to go to the FA Cup and a couple of magnificent victories for National League sides. Uh, Luke's taking a break from the uh, hosting this week, but he'll be busy in the editing studio with this a little bit later. We've got regular guest uh, Dickie Wharton. Good morning, Dickie. Good morning. Good to see you. We've also got with us uh, a new face uh, to us. We can see him right now. You can't, listeners. But uh, it's Joe Pope. And Joe writes the off-the-line blog that I've picked up uh, a few excerpts from on uh, through Facebook, actually. Been very, very impressed with it. Uh, Joe, uh, good morning to you. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Joe's based down in the southwest. He's a Torquay fan. Uh, a Torquay fan. Yeah. He had some Torquay fun yes, last year. Not so much but, this uh, year. We'll come. Not, not so much so far, but we'll uh, hear all about Torquay's game uh, with Dagenham. Got a very special guest as well this morning. His second appearance on the NL Full-Time podcast, I might add, but uh, legendary BBC commentator John Hello. Great to have you on. We've got to start with the FA Cup third round and uh, pride of place really has to go to Kidderminster Harriers from the National League North, who came from behind to bridge a four-division and a 79-place uh, gap in the uh, English football uh, structure to uh, to beat Reading of the Championship. Uh, goals from Sam Austin and Amari Morgan Smith got the job done. We had the manager Russ Penn on last week, so no podcast curse there, that's for sure. Um, and John, you were commentating on the game for the BBC, and uh, for, for, from what I understand, uh, they they went over to you towards the end of your game, and it was so. Good, so exciting. They couldn't leave you, could they? <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was. It turned out to be um, a, a really thrilling FA Cup third round afternoon, didn't it? Again, even, even though, as as I actually said on the uh, on the radio yesterday afternoon, you know, for some reason, well, I know why. Well, I know what the reason is. They have tried to dilute it, haven't they? So the so the third round, three o'clock kickoffs. You know, you remember the times where the most of the matches used to be played there. Clearly now in this new broadcasting deal that they have, they're split up all around the four days. So you don't have that concentration anymore. So it's all it's been my feeling that's taken away from it a little. However, just goes to show, even with the number of games that there were at three o'clock yesterday, there were some absolute classics in there. And um, and yeah, for the for Boreham Wood and for Kidderminster to, to find their way through to the fourth round by by uh, half past five yesterday afternoon. I mean, that was you cannot you cannot ask for too much more than that from the FA Cup, can you? No, you can't. And uh, look, we'll make our final little uh, we'll, we'll blow this trumpet one more time. But we were disappointed. We expressed our disappointment that. One or two of those potential cup sets weren't picked for TV audiences. We do understand that viewing figures are important and sometimes, you know, getting bigger clubs on is, 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 is there's pressure to do that. Yeah. Um, just to explain that, Ron, just because yeah. just, just, just we were talking about this yesterday afternoon at Agbra, actually, as well. And I do, mm. see, I do see this from both sides. It's absolutely vital from a financial sense for the non-league clubs or indeed the, you know, the League One, League Two clubs 
any club that needs the money. You know, I was at Swindon on Friday night. That was another example of how important that was for Swindon to have that match live on television. But that, those matches really should be on TV, uh, on live TV. And I, I feel I can see it from ITV's point of view because clearly they've got sponsors to please. I think from a BBC point of view, it would be great if the BBC could say, well, we, you know, we'll, we'll pick two matches say, of the three, say the three live matches, we'll pick two matches, which are mass or mass appeal, and one match, which is like, for instance, the, the one I was at yesterday, Kidderminster and, and Reading, and show that, showcase that. However, you see, the other side of that is, when it comes to negotiating contracts, and, um, you know, the BBC said, go to the FA and want to make the case why the FA Cup should remain on terrestrial TV and have this mass audience... It's essential, really, I think, for the BBC to say, look, when we show these matches, this is the size of audience we get. So that, that's why it's important. That's why the BBC also need to have big TV audiences to keep the competition mm. in that national spot. That, that There is an argument as well to say that, you know, you could do that with two and then with another one say, right, this is, this is the essence of the FA Cup and where we are showing this because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, brilliant. Really, really good points on both sides of the argument, John. Just tell us a little bit about the occasion yesterday. I guess when uh, an expectant crowd, um, hoping for the shock, saw Reading take the lead right on half-time, you probably, like a lot of people at that point, thought maybe the chance has gone. And it wasn't to be the case, was it? Yes, well, you know, you said it right at the start, Rob, but um, I got a message from, do you know Phil Annett, who is... Yeah, we know him well, he's been yeah, on the yeah, yeah. So I had his new, I had his, I've got it here, I had his new book, his, his FA Cup 150 <laughs> book, and he messaged me last night and he said, look at page 141, which I, which I did last night, and he says that yesterday, Kidderminster equaled the, the best achievement, which is the largest gap between levels for a non-league club victory over a second-tier club, which was Chorley last year in the FA Cup. So for Chorley to do it, and then for, for Kidderminster yesterday, as you say, National League North, to, to knock out a team from the Championship, you know, that that equals that little record. So, so you know, that that is the scale of the achievement. And yes, Reading um, is, was very obvious yesterday. They've got an absolute world of problems at the moment, financial issues. Injuries, players who were unavailable. Uh, the, the team was much changed. There were four teenagers, I think, in the starting lineup. They picked up two more injuries during the course of the match, where, you know, which is the last thing that they needed. Just had a really bad day, and Kidderminster had a great day. Oh, fantastic. Well done, Russ Penn uh, and everybody at Kidderminster. Uh, first time into the, uh, and I'm saying this without looking at, at your book, Phil Annett, because I know it, I heard it. First time into the fourth round for 35 years. I think they, it was a famous victory 28 years ago. They beat Birmingham City. 28 um, years to the day. Exactly that. To the day. Yeah, brilliant stat, John. Uh, I must get a very quick word before we uh, let you go uh, from Dickie on that game as well. Dickie, you're part of the world. Uh, fantastic achievement for Russ and Kitty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you're thrilled for them when you when you involved with the club. Um, at that level, as I am at Telford, 
you know, you you look at Kidderminster and they're they're living the dream. They're they're, they're having their moment in the sun, the same way that we all, um, you know, aim for it. You know, you, you, when you go in at the second qualifying round in September, which Kidderminster would have done, um, it's days like yesterday that that, that ultimately what you're you're hoping for but you know the chances of it happening are they're quite slim really you know to 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 get through as they have done and you know Kidderminster have played an awful lot of games in the competition to get to where they have um and yeah absolutely you're thrilled for them you know I know I know people at Kidderminster um on the field off the field and and uh, you know you can't be churlish and 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 um you know say anything about them them having their their day in the sun because it's 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 something that we all want it's something that we all hope for fantastic stuff john we really appreciate your time i know you've got to leave us now but thanks for coming on much appreciated and uh yeah enjoy the rest of your fa cup journey this season yeah i, I will I'll, I'll just tell you one story from yesterday which which sums yeah. up what uh, what dickie says you know how uh, Russ Penton <clears throat> I'd not dealt with him before this week spoke to him earlier in the week absolutely what a dream to deal with you know so I hope that he's going places and, and the way that he's got things going at Kidderminster it would be lovely to think that he, he would um, on the media side Matty who looks after the media there couldn't do enough for us yesterday you know when when the when you know a large part of the world comes to town and it's very very different they dealt with it brilliantly and a little story from afterwards <clears throat> in terms of speaking to to um to those who were involved um <clears throat> i said you know would it be possible to speak to either one of the goal scorers for us on five live either amari morgan smith or, or the captain sam austin and and he said yeah yeah we'll we'll get we'll get them we'll get them balls out and i was thinking well i'm not sure if i've got time you know if we'll have a, a time on the airwaves for both of them so first of all amari morgan smith comes out and then says uh, sam's on his way so i said oh would it be possible to, to um speak to you both together because I thought that'd be if we do them together, there'd be more chance getting that on air. And uh, and he said, "Oh right, okay, yeah, I'll go and get him for you." So off so off goes the guy who's just scored the winning goal in the FA mm-hmm. Cup to get them into the fourth round, off down the tunnel, and gets Sam Austin out and comes back together so they can do the interview. I, I tell no, you really. that does that does not happen very often. No, that's it. That's a lovely contrast between the. The different levels of football that you cover, and that's why I think you, you know you were so well placed to to appreciate that one from both sides yesterday. John, thanks for being an occasional contributor to our, to our podcast, and um, you know, come and join us again when you can. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do. No, nice to talk to you, Rob. Right, moving on to that other cup set, um, for want of a better phrase, uh, John touched on it a little bit earlier. And it's testimony, isn't it, to Luke Garrard and to Boreham Wood that if there was one potential shot yesterday that a lot of people were predicting, it was Boreham Wood to beat Wimbledon. And they did it at a canter. Um, Two goals to nil in the end. Tyro Marsh got them on their way, uh, neatly assisted by uh, Josh Rees and Adrian Clifton wrapped things up in the 86th minute. And uh, uh, regular listeners will know that uh, friend of the podcast, um, Josh Reese, has been on many times and I managed to catch up briefly with him on Boreham Wood's progress. Josh, a wonderful memory for you and everybody at Boreham Wood in the FA Cup. Uh, you progressed to the fourth round uh, with a 2-0 home victory against Wimbledon. You must be absolutely delighted. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, massive euphoria. Um, brilliant for 
the club, the players, um, and also like they said, the town had a good um, support behind us yesterday, and it was a good like again. Uh, they've seen us win another game in the FA Cup and gone to a round now. I don't think the club's ever been to before. Um, mm. So yeah, making history and obviously a great day, enjoy an enjoyable day. Obviously, get the victory, um, hard fought hard fought win for us, but I think we deserved it overall. And um, yeah, just carrying on the momentum now. I, I said to you mm. before recording about uh, you, you have that massive high and then you realise you're back to league duties on Tuesday so you kind of have to step out of it and uh, back to the bread and butter so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I saw uh, the highlights of the game. Nice assist for you for Tyrone Marsh's goal. Lovely first touch from him. Uh, you know, composure and neat finish. Um, and uh, I don't, the, the comment I've got really about that goal is... Um, full credit to you for the weight of pass and everything, but c- could you believe the ocean of room between the two centre-backs that Tyrone Marsh ran into? Well, to be fair, um, credit to the manager. It was kind of one of the things that he explained to us before the game, is that when we do win the ball back, uh, there'll be opportunities to play the ball forward. And mm. yes, there was, it was a big gap and Marsh has made a great run and then it's, a, it's an unbelievable finish. I mean, credit to Marsh yesterday. I thought he was outstanding. Um, I think Danny Murphy was singing his praises on Match of the Day as well. So, well, one to boost the, the, the confidence for Marsh and he's, mm. he's been really good for us last sort of uh, few games and all, and all season really but um, mm. he's really starting to find the net as well now just to go along with his really good performances. But, mm. uh, no, that one was credit to Marshall and credit to the manager as well, really. Uh, that was in the match scripts. Um, mm. So, yeah. Well, looking at it, you were definitely good value for the win. It always helps, of course, though, doesn't it? You are you know you're going to come under a little bit of pressure in the second half. And just as the legs are tiring towards the end, on comes Adrian Clifton and gets the easy bit, really. Comes on for three or four minutes. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, nice movement at the near post. Good ball in from Mendy. Um, and... Uh, yeah, um, a second goal which just gives you that little cushion, that little that little bit of peace of mind over the last few minutes. Yeah, I mean, the second half we knew they'd come out and they kept the ball for long periods, and it can get tiring physically. So when you do get the ball, you kind of need to use it well. To be fair, we did create some good chances on the counter attack, but at times we were maybe giving it back to them too easy, and you think, oh, do you hold out for one? But no, Cliffs came on and it's an unbelievable finish. I didn't actually see it from the angle, uh, but when you see it on the TV, it's, it's a really unbelievable how he's kind of just flicked it uh, across the keeper onto the post. Um, and again, just shows the strength and depth we've got in our squad now. So like Cliff, he, he's, he's probably not played as many minutes, um, but when he does come on, especially in the FA Cup, he came, came on two times now and scored twice like big goals so uh, no credit to him uh, and again it just gave us that cushion that we, we needed I think by then the game kind of was over really for, for Wimbledon you could see that um, yeah no massive yeah and, and, and another thing that struck me I remember you started the season the league season with three or four clean sheets didn't you and uh, you've done the same in the FA Cup not conceded a goal yet in the competition and you're in the you're in the fourth round. That's uh, it's something you must, you know. I, I know it's a core principle, isn't it, of of the way that uh, Luke and Boreham would uh, approach his games. You, if you don't concede, you're not going to lose. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's something that we build ourselves uh, upon. It's our, kind of a foundation of our team. We're very solid. We're always going to be in a game. Uh, and I think yesterday was we knew at home as well. We very rarely concede at home, or we we'll, we'll always keep it within a goal or two. And it's get, about getting that first goal, which we did. And then once we got that first goal, we knew Wimbledon would have had to work hard to, to get an equaliser. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's not by chance uh, the clean sheets. It, it's a daily process. We're, we work on it every day. Um, and it's, I said, the, the back five are outstanding yesterday. I thought they marshaled uh, Wimbledon's. Uh, front line really well but we defend as a team really from the front um, and in midfield it's a collective effort uh, and yeah we're getting our rewards for it at the moment but like you said it's, it's like I said halfway through the season now we've got to sort of maintain it and carry it on and hopefully by the end of the season we can be rewarded for it Yeah absolutely you do it sat really nicely uh, in the National League uh, looking good for a playoff spot, possibly beyond, but I know you'll take it one game at a time, as as, as all good pros always do. Final question has got to be a bit of a predictable one, but um, I know Adrian Clifton said on Match of the Day who he wanted in the next round. What about you, Josh? Would you would you love to go to the Emirates, for example, or is there another tie that that's that's more attractive for you? You know, back to your old club. I'm an Arsenal fan as well, so Emirates would would be. Uh... Would be the, the standout one, possibly Old Trafford as well, uh, Anfield. Uh, one of the, the big, the big boys, obviously. Um, I've got quite a few friends that are West Ham fans as well, so I wouldn't mind West Ham either. Um, so, but yeah, um, the the usual uh, suspects I'd imagine that would be down for most people's picks uh, as a as a Premier League, a Premier League tie against one of the big boys. Fantastic stuff. Congratulations on the victory, Josh. Good luck in the next round and uh, in the National League League over the coming weeks. Thanks, Rob. And that was Josh Rees. And uh, just coming to you, Joe, on that one. Um, Magnificent win for Boreham Wood yesterday. And uh, they've had so many clean sheets this season. Another one yesterday against DFL opposition. And they continue to uh, confound, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just testament to the work that Luke Garrard does. I mean, he touched on it yesterday in his, his interview afterwards that they are so well drilled and so difficult to beat. I mean, obviously, when they lost Nathan Ashmore early in the season, you'd have thought perhaps they would have had a slight drop off. But they're so well coached that they bring a goalkeeper in in Ashby Hammond who just slots in so easily. Um, and the win yesterday, I mean against the league one side you're always going to ride your luck but there weren't really that many moments for them to to do that I mean the win itself 2-0 and they had two shots on target I mean that just shows you know how ruthlessly efficient they've been this season uh, under Luke Garrard Um, and yeah fantastic uh, fantastic win for them hopefully they can get a a big big tie in in the next round Yeah fantastic achievement for Luke Garrard and Boreham Wood uh, after the game, Luke Garrard said, I'm on top of the world. Uh, it's my biggest achievement as a manager here for six years, and it hasn't quite stuck in yet. It's full credit to the players. I can't describe it. They threw everything at us, but we are good defensively and well-drilled. And I think Boreham would prove in more than ever yesterday that if you can keep clean sheets in matches, you've got a great chance, um, you know, of, of, of obviously... You know, on a day when they don't go in for you taking a point and, and all three or progressing in the cup as they did yesterday. Um, that wasn't it, of course, though, for the FA Cup. Honorary mentions to Yeovil Town, who lost 3-1 at home 
to uh, Bournemouth. Um, uh, Joe Quigley got a late consolation for Yeovil, but uh, it wasn't to be their day. And perhaps the biggest windfall and the most eyes were on James Rose Chesterfield as they went to Stamford Bridge. And I know Chesterfield fans still hurting from all those years ago when they felt they were robbed in the semi-final and they should have played a final against uh, Chelsea. Well, they had that final uh, yesterday, if you like. Uh, And it didn't have the best start. 3-0 down after 20 minutes from a very strong attacking lineup in the Chelsea side. Um, However, Chesterfield drew the second half 1-0. And towards the end, they had a wonderful moment, didn't they? Uh, Aquasi Asante coming off the bench and uh, scoring for Chesterfield. And just to see some of the smiles on the faces of James Rowe and the Chesterfield uh, players after that... um, you know, it was uh, it was lovely. Quote from James Rowe after the game. We've got something special happening here. We tried to go toe-to-toe with the European champions. What a day. We were focused at half-time because one mistake and it's in the back of your net. When we scored, it was a great reward for the effort to get to this stage. We carried the National League flag. I'm really proud. And, and that's what I felt yesterday. You know, all our club differences aside, chaps, um, I think we were all rooting for, you know, those National League sides going up against, uh, you know, the big guns. And uh, and that was a really, really, really big game, uh, Dickie, wasn't it, for James Rowe and Chesterfield? The biggest game probably of his management career. Oh, undoubtedly. You know, it has to be, you know, like you said, you're going toe-to-toe with the European champions. It didn't have, as you said, the ideal start. But but to to draw the second half with them, that, that's a, a feather in their cap and, it was an especially nice moment for Equazi Santa to get the goal, given the injury um, absence that he's had. Um, and I suppose, you know, there'd been some talk um, in the build-up to the game around uh, Kabongo Shimanga. And I think I'd, I'd seen that there's been rumoured interest from championship clubs and Chesterfield have put a price tag of £950,000 on him. I think it was to show that, you know, if, if, if he did make that move, that, that Chesterfield have got the strength and the depth to be able to carry on, you know, when you've got a player like Aquasia Sunday that could come into the side. So, um, yeah, there were no losers yesterday, you know, two of the clubs progressed, two of the clubs didn't, but I think in terms of representing the National League, I think all four of them did this level of football proud um, and showed what this level of football is all about, something that, you know, we, we speak about every week and, and we're hugely enthusiastic about and, and hopefully... Some of that came over to people who maybe watch their football at a slightly higher level, um, and they've seen how good National League football can be. Yeah, and just looking at that Chelsea lineup, just to uh, fully appreciate how strong it was, uh, they didn't take any chances yesterday. Their forward line: Pulisic, Lukaku, and Timo Werner. Uh, plenty of other first teamers in in the side too, and coming off the bench, the likes of Barkley. So uh, we don't underestimate what an achievement that was uh, for Chesterfield yesterday as well. Before we move on from the FA Cup, just brief fleeting mentions for our very own Tom Lang, the uh, official club photographer at Hampton and Richmond Borough. He had a day off of uh, Hampton and Richmond duties yesterday as a Plymouth fan, travelled to uh, Birmingham. And by all accounts, when we last heard from him, him, uh, he was a very, very happy man last night as Plymouth progressed against Birmingham. And uh, in my own neck of the woods, quite an astonishing achievement from uh, Cambridge United 
to go up to uh, Newcastle United of the Premier League. Admittedly struggling at the wrong end, but uh, to come away with a 1-0 win there and one of the best goalkeeping performances I've, I've seen that I can remember. Let's move on then from the FA Cup and look at things in the National League. <sighs> so, let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free 1U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you. In the National League, Halifax took full advantage of one or two other teams being involved uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, and uh, it was a really, really solid 4-0 home victory for them over Eastleigh, a side that don't lose 4-0 very often. Jordan Slew with a couple of goals, Jamie Allen back on the score sheet and Matty Warburton as well. Um, and we've not even mentioned Billy Waters. They've got some good firepower themselves. It's not quite Lukaku and, and Werner, but at National League level... Um, Joe, it's uh, it's a pretty tasty looking forward line Halifax have got and they continue to, uh, well, they can't go under the radar. That's the wrong thing to say, but uh, they continue to uh, just quietly go about their business. Yeah, I mean, obviously yesterday that was no easy task, although EC haven't been as good on the road um, and have been fairly good defensively. I mean, to win 4-0, so easy, um, going top of the league um, in Chesterfield's absence yesterday. I mean... It hurts me as their forward line. Obviously, we lost Billy Waters as a Torquay fan last year to see him then go to Halifax this year and, and banging in the goals. And, and Jordan Slew, I mean, another two for him yesterday. I think he's he's actually been, in my opinion, the more pivotal of those, um, really doing well under sort of under the radar for them. Um, and yeah, the work that Pete Wilde's doing to be having that team, um, you know, top, given the budgets of some other teams in the league, um, yeah, really, really good um, coaching performance that. Um, and yeah, they keep going strong. And Joe, just while we've uh, while, while we've got you there, tell us a little bit more about your Off the Line blog. I've, I've only come across it recently, but you've been going for a little while. I think you said you started, uh, you know, out of boredom during the pandemic, didn't you? But such a thorough preview of all the games, uh, well, all, all but one of the games, but <laughs> which is the reason we ended up having a little exchange yesterday. But uh, tell us a little bit more about how you got into it. Yeah, so at the start of the original lockdown, um, classic, you know, lockdown boredom, um, you know, always had a passion for non-league, been a Torquay United season ticket holder since the age of 11. Um, and now I'm 21, so you can work it out, the maths there. But yeah, I've been... Always a huge fan of non-league um, and felt, you know, why not start up a blog? I started it in, in lockdown, sort of as a, you know, hobby during lockdown. Didn't really at the time foresee carrying it forward, but obviously as it's grown and grown, um, yeah, we've really, really enjoyed covering um, the National League and non-league and everything good about uh, the lower league football. Um, and yeah, we've been going for just about two years now. Um yeah, we're really, really enjoying it. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's well worth the read. Um, just tell the listeners where they can uh, find that, uh, Joe. Uh, yes, yeah, so if you go to uh, Off The Line blog on Twitter, um, we don't have a fancy URL yet. Um, we haven't got to those 
echelons yet. But uh, if you go to Off The Line blog on Twitter, um, you can check us out there, check us on the, the content and head over to our page. Um, and yeah, hopefully you uh, hopefully you enjoyed uh, reading it as much as we put it together. Good stuff. Looking then at the top end of the National League, uh, Bromley also took advantage of the other teams, uh, Borenwood and Chesterfield, not been involved uh, yesterday. They got the job done against Solihull Moors. It was a new face for them, at least, that got the scoring underway uh, at uh, Hayes Lane on uh, Saturday. Scott Wagstaff left Aldershot in the week, made his debut in the starting lineup for Bromley, picked up his obligatory yellow card pretty quickly and soon followed it with the opening goal of the game. Um, a man of the match performance on debut for Scott Wagstaff, something that doesn't surprise me. I think he's a quality player that sadly Aldershot couldn't uh, afford to, uh, to to hang on to. Um, and then if we ran a, a, a poll as to who might have scored the other goal for Bromley, I think we'd all get that one right too, wouldn't we? Michael Cheek with the goal. But uh, Dickie, no mean opposition they uh, defeated yesterday. Solihull Moors have got their own promotion uh, hopes this season. They sit just... Uh, a couple of places outside the playoffs, but uh, an excellent win for Bromley and uh, Solihull Moors were no disgrace for them. No, it isn't. I mean, it, it, I mean that that's a, a genuine test of Solihull Moors' promotion credentials. Um, yesterday, to to go away to Bromley, they they are um, a side I think most of us are expecting to be in as a minimum the playoff places at the end of the season um, and it's the kind of place where if Solihull have got pretensions of being there as well that, that, you, that they'd want to go there and, and get something but they didn't um, they just got a consolation from uh, Jimmy Ball in the second half um, but yeah uh, full marks to, to, to Bromley for their performance yesterday They say never underestimate a point in football and never was that truer for Dagenham and Redbridge who'd won four on the trot and sat in seventh place yesterday morning and then we're 2-0 down at Torquay I'm sorry to take you through the pain Joe but uh, <laughs> coming back to draw that game 2 all gave Dagenham a point which lifted them from 7th to 4th place that's just how tight it is tell us about the game tell us about the experience Joe yesterday because um, it's the hope that kills you isn't it 2-0 up after 10 minutes Torquay yeah well in many ways a classic Torquay United afternoon um, I mean, the first 10, 20 minutes um, back to the free-flowing football that we've seen um, over the last few years under Gary Johnson. Fantastic stuff. Um, our new signing, Stephen Wean from Sunderland, really impressing. And then, really, uh, a tale of errors. Um, an experienced defender in Demoxie giving away a, a free kick um, when he's going away from goal, about 30 yards from goal. And obviously, we all know what Dagenham are good at, set pieces, um, got a ball into the box and got one back. And as a Torquay fan, you know that when a team certainly as good as Dagenham get one goal, then they'll certainly go and get two. Um, And in truth, it was lucky that they didn't get three or more. Um, I think obviously from being 2-0 up, many will say, well, you know, you should be seeing those out. But in the end, I think it was a good point. for Torquay. Um, we've got a depleted squad, a very depleted midfield. I mean, we had to call Harry Perrett from Atkinson Stanley back uh, from his loan, who he had gone back to Atkinson Stanley, but we only had one midfielder available. So he had to come back and form a makeshift middle three. Um, Dagenham, very good side. Um, 
very stereotypical national league in that you don't want to play against fast, tricky, intricate players. And it seems Dagenham have got about five or six of those. Um, Weston, Valanta, Walker, Sagaf, really, really impressive performance. And on a what is usually a very good talky pitch, obviously with the conditions, a very, very poor pitch yesterday, they still managed to pass it around very, very confidently. Um, and I've no, no doubt that they'll be at least in the playoffs come the end of the season. And uh, I, I would say that they're the best team we've faced uh, this season. That's interesting. Uh, I'm just going to counter that. Uh, I, I watched Dagenham a couple of weeks ago and it was a moment of class from Angelo Bellanta. But other than that, they struggled to put away a, a, a quite indifferent and, and, and mixed up Aldershot Town side on the day. And that might sound a little bit bitter. It's not. You know, it's a 1-0 victory. You can't get enough of those in the season. Um, but I think what they've done, Dagenham, they've used that little bit of momentum. They've come through the two um, uh, Christmas and New Year fixtures with Dover. They got the job done just in those games and, uh, you know, beat all the shot. And they're on a nice little run now. I think it's uh, 13 points out of 15. And they're right up there. They're right in the shake-up. They have played more games than any other top seven. So we'll keep an eye on them and their progress. A team who'd have loved a point yesterday. Well, they'd have loved three. They'd have loved a point. They'd have just loved to play. And that's Knox County because they were frustrated as uh, they travelled down to Dover yesterday and all sorts of furore about that one. It was called off late. And I'm going to give you both sides of the story here. Ian Birchnell, the Knox uh, County manager, who I think has always been quite calm, quite pleasant, quite a gentleman in his time so far. Um, Well, you can listen to the quote yourself. For me, today has been a disgrace. Fans have sacrificed their Saturday and a lot of money to travel four hours in support of their football club. And they've been massively let down by a complete lack of communication from Dover, just as they were at Kings Lynn. And this is particularly why it hurts, I think, for Notts County, because it's happened twice in a couple of weeks now. We understand that weather conditions can worsen, even in a short time period, but not to inform us of the game coming under question shows a complete lack of respect to our supporters. And us as a club, our supporters have been badly let down once again. And the National League need to address this for the good of all clubs. It would only be fair to give Dover a right of reply. And their uh, chairman, Jim Parmenter, said, I don't know why the referee has made that decision. The pitch is firm. There's no standing water. I think it's the wrong decision. I believe he is a new referee, so maybe he's not that experienced. But the game could have easily gone ahead. So I am very disappointed. He's called the game off, in my opinion, based on the weather forecast rather than the state of the pitch um, and this continues to happen it happens a lot I went to Dover last season and got there and the game was in massive doubt nobody again had said anything about it uh, eventually they they did play even though there was some standing water on the pitch and I think that's the, the most frustrating thing isn't it chaps just that lack of consistency and clear communication you know when the away team is travelling kind of anything more than an hour and a half or so Surely they've got to be a prime concern, that team and their supporters. Yeah, I mean, you would you would assume that this, uh, you know, standard code of practice, I mean, you would have it at any, you know, level, right at the lower rungs of non-league and local football. You know, it's common courtesy that you, you ring up. If the game's looking in doubt, you tell them way in advance. I mean, that's, that's where the frustration is for Notts County, you know, it's not happened once, it's happened twice. And they're not short trips either from, from Nottingham to, uh, to Kings Ling and Dover. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, um, yeah, they ne- obviously you say there that the National League need to do so. In, um, they do really. I mean, you can't be having, you know, that's nearly 900 miles round trips that they've had now, uh, Notts County in the space of a couple of weeks to play games that haven't actually ended up being on. Um, so a wasted effort by all. Um, and if the other teams had shown a little bit more effort to perhaps, uh, inform them in good time, then perhaps they might not have uh, wasted so much effort. Well, the remaining three games in the National League on Saturday all involve sides in the bottom nine. Uh, Dover remain rooted at the bottom on minus eight points and Kingsland's uh, game against Woken was also called off relatively late due to uh, a waterlogged pitch. And then third bottom and fourth bottom went head-to-head at the Bob Lucas Stadium on uh, Saturday. Big, big game for those two sides because as they look at the table, they'll be thinking, well, this is the one team we've got to finish above and then we've got to hope that we finish above Kings Lynn and Dover as well. Weymouth nil, South End one. The goal coming very, very early from uh, Matt Dennis um, and Dickie. Um, a massive three points for South End. He put some improved performances of late and they just had to they had to get out of the Bob Lucas with three points if they possibly could, and they managed it. Yeah, they did, and you know it's a it, it, it's it's a thing of it's it's an, it's a huge three points for them to collect, but it's it denies um, Weymouth the points as well at the same time, doesn't it? Which is um, we we're getting into that stage of the season where those kind of fixtures that are, you know what we might call the six pointers are starting to. Um, uh, show themselves, and that was certainly feels like it was one um, uh, at Weymouth yesterday. So, yeah, uh, really heartening from from Southend's perspective. I think their fans haven't had an awful lot to cheer about this season, and I think there have been concerns that you know if they didn't arrest their slide, that they could slide all the way through straight through the National League into National League South, um, and, and that result yesterday just just go some way to, to making sure that that doesn't happen. Um, obviously, there's still a lot at South End that needs to be addressed. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll want to address that while still in the highest league that they can possibly be, be in. I don't, I don't buy this thing that, you know, perhaps we have to go down to come back up again. Uh, it's not that easy to get out of National League South. So it's, it's to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. And uh, I always think the form guide is 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 a good uh, a good gauge of how teams are doing. You've got to look at the league table in conjunction with that, and it tells the true story there. A narrow victory for Southend, but in their last six games, they've managed one win and two draws, uh, six points. Uh, but Weymouth have lost six out of six, and uh, you know, uh, along with uh, Dover, are in really wretched form, and it's difficult to see you know, the way forward for them, but they'll keep plugging away under the excellent uh, managership of uh, Brian Stock. Um, Now, Alti have been slipping. They've been that mid-table team slipping further and further down the table. A lot of player movement as well, uh, Dickie, of late, but uh, Pringle put uh, Alti ahead, didn't he? And Barnett got the late equaliser that will have been much relief to uh, Dean Brennan just to keep uh, their run of games going where they've not lost too many at all in the last 10, Barnett, have they? No, they haven't. And uh, I know from a from an altering perspective that you touched on it there, Phil Parkinson's been um, clearly 
dissatisfied with what he's been getting from his squad. He's been making some moves in, in, in getting players out the door on loan so that he can get some others in. Um, they were looking good for the three points yesterday. As you say, Ben Pringle came on as a substitute and must have scored probably within about a minute of coming onto the field. And it looked like they were going to um, hold on for all three points. But, you know, you've got to keep going right to the end. Um, and credit to Barnett, you know, for, 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 for digging something out yesterday. And in terms of giving teams credit for digging something out yesterday, I've got to mention my own side, Aldershot. Luke, you'll be chuckling to yourself because I have left Aldershot to last. Something I always have a go at you for doing. Uh, They got a one-all draw with Maidenhead yesterday, which uh, in the final analysis wasn't a bad point because it kept them six points ahead of Maidenhead, who were just two places behind them in the National League table. But I think it also represented good value because Aldershot, were ripped apart during the week. They lost the goalkeeper, Laurie Walker, who's kept so many clean sheets. Uh, he went back to MK Dons and then uh, promptly was sold to Stevenage in the EFL. And the same thing happened with their top scorer at the other end, Corey Andrews, recalled by Wimbledon and then promptly off to Colchester for a loan at a higher level. They also lost the aforementioned Scott Wagstaff to the bigger fish, as they now are in the National League, uh, Bromley. Um, and uh, they played the game yesterday against Maidenhead without a recognised centre forward, the diminutive Ryan Glover playing up front for the shots. He battled uh, away, uh, played his heart out, to be honest with you, but it was always going to be difficult for um, all shot against a big, strong Maidenhead side, desperate for points themselves, struggling down at the, uh, the bottom end. They've been on a, a pretty poor run themselves, although they have the same form as Southend, one win, two draws and three defeats in the last six Aldershot got two wins, three draws uh, and one defeat, which is a little better. And uh, Aldershot have pulled 10 points clear of the three relegation positions now. And as I say that, quite apart from the huge relief, um, I'm staggered. If I didn't, if I hadn't seen every minute of it, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, You know, Dickie, we talked about how desperate it feels to be down the bottom and not be able to get away. You've suffered that a lot with Telford. We'll come on to the north in a minute, but... uh, um, a quite astonishing achievement from Mark Molesley, given that he has been without a lot of players uh, injured as well. And don't get me wrong, lots of clubs do, but a little bit like Chesterfield at the other end of the table, they continue to pick up points on a regular basis, all the shot, despite not having things their own way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think things have improved sufficiently um, under Mark Molesley in that yesterday I looked at that game um, and you're thinking... It was a surprise to me that Aldershot didn't actually collect all three points from the way that, that, that things have been going under him, which wasn't something I could have said a couple of months ago. Um, I know um, Mark brought in a lot of players on loan um, just to freshen things up when he when he first got there. Um, and and it, it's worked. You know, he's, he's, he's done it terrifically there to, to turn things around. And, and you know, Aldershot, you're looking up the table now rather than looking over your shoulder, which I think was um, uh, the, the, the big fear. I know, I know, you know, I wouldn't say despair was ne- necessarily the word I would use, but it, it could be quite a depressing feeling being uh, at the foot of the table, as I know at the moment. So, uh, yeah, full credit to him uh, and everybody who's turned that round. Yeah, and uh, Aldershot, one of three sides who've managed to play 23 games already. So they're beyond halfway through their National League season. The other two sides, funnily enough, are Dagenham Redbridge and your team, Joe Torquay. So I think in all three cases, Dagenham in fourth place, Torquay 12th and Aldershot 17th 
Um, if we were to apply a points per game to that table, and I'm not suggesting for one minute it's going to finish that way this season, um, you might see each of those teams maybe down a place or two as the other teams play their, their, their fixtures in hand. Well, that concludes our roundup of the National League now. We're going to have a look at the National League South. Right, we've got some special help here from Joe. I've asked him to uh, have a little look across the devastation in the north that we'll come to in a little while. But in the south, uh, the vast majority, if not all of the games, I think, actually went ahead, which was some kind of a miracle. Um, and top honours of the day, Hempstead um, Town, uh, and came away with uh, a 3-1 win. Two goals from Craig Tanner, who is a class player and must stand out in the National League South. Uh, at the top of the National League South. Yeah, this season we're really seeing um, their qualities come to the fore. I mean, you talk about Craig Tanner there. He must be one of a handful of a number of players that you would think, well, they can't be playing in the National League South. Surely they should be playing a bit higher. Um, yeah, lovely football. And that's a tough, you know, although the Emil Hempstead are lower in the table, um, sort of mid-table-ish, um, that's no no easy feat, Um for Ebsfleet going there. Um, Hemel themselves um, have got a really strong core to their side, um, even if the results haven't been showing that. And obviously Hemel come into that off the back of a win against St Albans, who themselves are, you know, no easy side to to, to beat. Um, so, uh, yeah, really, really impressive for, for Ebsfleet and hopefully they can uh, continue that now for the remainder. We mentioned the other team there, joint top with Maidstone. They got only pick up a point yesterday and they needed a, a relatively late equaliser from Rhys Grant at uh, Billericay Town, who are bottom of the table uh, with just 11 points. And uh, that'll be a disappointing result for Maidenhead, but they'll have been also quoting that phrase, never underestimate a point on your travels. Uh, Dorking Wanderers, uh, well, they cemented their recent resurgence in form uh, to move up to third place in the National League South. Another two goals for Alfie Rutherford, who uh, is literally on flames, isn't he, as they say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, the, at the start of the season, um, obviously, they were struggling a bit below what we kind of expected. But with the amount of quality that they've got in forward areas, they were they were only ever going to come back into the uh, into the reckoning. Obviously, Alfie Rutherford had been in fantastic form um, and obviously prior as well, you know, the, the amount of talent they've got in, a, especially in the attacking areas, I mean, especially at that level. Um, I mean, we saw it when, when Torquay came from 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 deep to, to win the, the National League South. If you've got somebody that consistently get you goals in the final third, then that will probably win you games at National League South level. Um, so, yeah, Alfie Rutherford, I mean, fantastic player, perhaps should be playing in the National League as opposed to the National League South. Um, and yeah, another another good win for them. Look, they look to be back to their best. Yeah, now Oxford City had recently hit the top, but uh, they slipped up at home to an Eastbourne Borough side who were pretty useful on their day. Uh, a Charlie Kendall brace for Eastbourne, which uh, just keeps them with distant hopes of playoff, posi- uh, you know, playoff positions. They're five points behind that now. Uh, Steve King's Dartford were held at home by Dulwich Hamlet, who just about remain in the top seven. That was a, a one-all draw. First half goal from Sterling for Dulwich and Robinson equalising for Dartford in the second half. Uh, and Chippenham, well, let me come to Chippenham and you, Joe. Uh, up to sixth place in the National League South. Every season, anyone that doesn't really know the National League South and doesn't really know Chippenham, 
pick them out as one of the three sides that's going to be in relegation trouble. A 6-1 win against Slough Town. The result of the day, uh, well done, Chippenham Town. Yeah, I mean, they've added some real quality in the summer, um, obviously. They were one of the sides that we thought, you know, going into the season perhaps would would be be down there, as, as you said. But, you know, they've added some re- real quality, especially in the midfield positions. I mean, they've signed Alefi Santos. Um, he, he did a, a, he played well yesterday. And obviously two goals for Ricky Aguilar, um, obviously from Worthing, um, got a move to, to Swindon um, in the summer. And then obviously... Two goals yesterday for Chippenham, and he's had a, a fantastic season so far. And it, it looks like they're they're starting to you know get on the on the right track after a couple of rocky seasons in the in the National League South. Um, and that's against the Slough side that have been good this season, um, who themselves have you know improved. Um, and certainly um, you perhaps wouldn't have seen them shipping six. Um, so yeah, really good result for Chippenham, and uh, looks like they're they're back on track. Yeah, you mentioned St Albans briefly earlier. They're just outside the playoff positions. One of those cracking football games yesterday. They took the lead, then they were 2-1 down and they came back again to win it with a second half uh, McKenna goal um, at uh, Peter Taylor's. Well in United, much improved, pulled themselves uh, nine points clear of that single uh, place drop zone this season. So St Albans uh, hot on the heels of the playoff teams. Uh, and then just behind them, uh, Hungerford. And they went down 2-1 at, at uh, Tunbridge Angels uh, yesterday. You've slipped back a little bit towards the pack. You wouldn't have seen that one coming. Hungerford uh, scored right on half-time and led until the 86th minute uh, when Wood pulled level. And, uh, well, they got Wood again in 90-plus-8 Tunbridge Angels. A magnificent win for them. That will feel like a huge three points for Steve McKim's men. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't need to tell me... Uh... How, um, you know, how good uh, Tombridge can be on the day. Obviously, not talking United out the uh, the FA Trophy uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, very, very good. Um, really, really impressed by what Danny Robinson's doing there. Just to mention uh, another penalty save for, for Luke Kenny in goal for Hungerford. That's four now this wow. season already. Um, really, really impressive. Um, arguably the best goalkeeper in the National League South. Um, yeah, and um, they'll be fine come the end. Two other games. Uh, Chelmsford beat Bath 1-0, just to pull them a little bit further clear of trouble and uh, take them to within three points of Bath. The only goal coming from Blackwell in the 25th minute. And one other game, and Tom's turn this week to, uh, to have a complaint that his side were left till last, but my goodness, need a win or what? They look like they're on track with it. Uh, Miller Rodney putting them in the 32nd minute. But when you can forgive everybody at the Beaver, you're thinking, oh no, here we go again. But all three points. And uh, do you know what? For the horrendous run that they've had with a game in hand on a couple of teams, they're only five points off the playoffs. And it's not done yet. Especially in the National League South, when you can put a run together, um, you can really start to move up that table quite quickly. Um, And they've still been, you know, they they have struggled this season, obviously below what we would have expected coming to the season. I certainly had them well in my playoff reckoning. Um, And as you say, when they concede so late, having been ahead for so long, they'd have been fearing the worst and can, you know, not another game. We haven't won. Um, But yeah, to get out to win, hopefully, you know, sometimes even a a win like that, a late goal can actually give you more confidence than winning, you know, quite comfortably. So um, yeah, I mean, McCann's doing a a, a good job there anyway. And uh, I'm sure that, as we come into the second half of the season, now we'll start to see them push up the table. Obviously, they have had quite a few departures. Um, player, player movement signs at Robinson and, and another couple of players from, from Woking. So, um, their strength, they'll be fine. We're going to take now a look at the National League North. The weather was the winner on the day. I presume they were all weather-related, were they? Or any of them COVID-related? Um, Telford's game was, uh, was, was COVID-related, unfortunately. We've had a, um, a rash of positive tests um, in the first team. 
and uh, and also in some of the staff at Telford as well, the ones were, uh, were down to the weather or, or just the fact that I think certainly whoever could have been Harry's opponents was supposed to be yesterday, but uh, um, ended up having a free day. Uh, National League North Brackley Town um, uh, keep their, their lead at the top of the division with one win over Hereford, a goal from Trey Mitford there in the, in the second half was enough for them. Surely was probably one of the most notable performances of the day yesterday. Um, they won 1-0 home record. They'd had seven wins out of seven at home in the league prior to yesterday. Um, but that's gone now. Um, a goal for Mike Calvary in the second half there for Chorley. They've played a couple of games more than the, the, the other teams around them at the top of the league. But uh, yeah, yeah it's second place. Win. Huge win for Chorley. We've talked about Gateshead and just what a good side they are in, in recent weeks. Just outside that, you've got filed fourth place and Kidderminster, who obviously were involved in the FA Cup in fit yet rule them out of the title race, although they're going to have to go some uh, playing Tuesdays and Saturdays towards the end of the season. Southport are in sixth place and Boston not playing yesterday yet, Dickie. They remain in, in seventh, but uh, just a point for them on their travels to Gloucester City. Yeah, it was. Um, not the return that they that they would have been looking for. It was from, um, dispensed to the services of manager Craig Elliott and now looking for a new manager. Paul Green's taken over as caretaker manager. He's left his role at Doncaster over. I sought out the views of uh, Duncan Brown. Craig Elliott's departure was, uh, I think you wrote about it earlier in the week as as, as being a surprise. Has it, has it taken people by surprise? I think it has. I mean, there was, uh, you could see in the crowd, had uh, parts of the crowd had turned Midway through the Alfreton game uh, last Sunday, when when Boston were trailing two nil, they weren't playing particularly well, and there were there were chants of sacked in the morning from uh, parts of the town end, which is never a good sign. And sometimes you feel it's more frustration than than hope or expectation in these situations, and I would say that would be the case because with Boston, you've got David Newton, who is a chairman who's known for giving his managers time, known for backing them. On, on off the pitch and uh, you know give, giving them a chance to, to turn things around Craig Gilliatt hasn't as he said as he said to me in this week hasn't really had a sustained bad patch at Boston has always turned it around and so people people expected that going to Gloucester and then Morpeth in the trophy three away games in a row away from um, the frustrations at the Jaitman's Community Stadium would give him a chance maybe to tinker things turn it around and uh, have a chance to sort of put his stamp on things again. That wasn't the case this time. David Newton acted. He, he When I spoke to him this week, he felt uh, the results weren't where Craig or where he or the club wanted things to be at the moment. And he acted swiftly. And uh, he, did, he did say to me, it was the toughest, toughest decision he feels he's had to make in 14 years of being a football chairman. And um, the relationship they had was fantastic. And I can really see how it would be hard for him. I mean, he's always got on well with his managers and, and, got behind them and defended them well. At the end of the day, he he's the chairman. He has to do what he thinks is best for the football club. Yeah, it's a difficult position, isn't it? You know, you can have that relationship, be close, but ultimately, when you are the guardian of the football club, I, if I suggested that maybe Boston had, you know, got ambitious targets for this season, they were, they were, I think they were probably seeing themselves as, as a minimum, as a playoff chasing side. That That's probably where he's fallen down, isn't it? Of course. I mean, Boston still are in seventh in the playoffs. The problem is now, I think, looking down the table and four or five points separate them and 15th and um, a bad result at Gloucester away at the trophy next week. And they could, in a fortnight, find themselves down to 12th, 15th in the table. And that really would be a a much tougher ask. Yeah, I mean, I I think looking from the outside, as I do, I I think probably my perception was that this may be that when Boston have come up against the other uh, sides that you might class as contenders in the in the division that maybe they've they've not quite had enough. The, the defeat against Brackley over over the Christmas period, and then by Alfreton, who were a team that were right on their coattails. Do you think 
those kind of results are maybe the ones that, that, that forced David Newton's hand? I think they've certainly raised question marks. And I would say that it's been a topic of conversation throughout the season for, for Boston United fans, that the fact they haven't really made that statement against another rival. Yes, they beat Brackley and Kidderminster in a trophy, but that doesn't tell a story when you look at the league table, does it? Uh, I think you look you look at the, the fact that um, one point against the top seven or previous top seven uh, or six, opponents in there and apart from a point against Chorley they've lost the other games the search is on now for for a new manager I know that, that Boston have actually advertised the role there had been some speculation earlier in the week I think um involving Ian Culverhouse and the fact that he'd left Kingsland Town and he might be seen as a, a possible um have you got any suggestion as to to what who might be in the frame I think there's, there will always be a lot of interest. David Newton, the chairman, said that uh, his phone was ringing within seconds of the announcement being made about Craig Ellick's departure. And that's always going to be the case. As you see in football these days, people don't necessarily come out and say, I want the job, but they, they don't say, I don't want the job. And looking on social media this week, there's a lot of people have said complimentary things about the club. I mean, Curtis Woodhouse is being linked, for example. He's he said it's a good club and a great place to work. He's not said, I want the job, but he's one of the many people being linked. Lee Thompson, a former player, has certainly shown an interest before, uh, before and he's been at Stocksbridge Park Steels. And uh, I think there's, he's he's building up his momentum as a manager as well, or in the dugout. Um, Culverhouse and uh, his assistant, Paul Bastock, who there is a Paul Bastock suite at Boston United. He uh, is the all-time appearance record holder, a world record holder, and very well known and very popular in town. He still lives in Boston. He's still been at Boston's games over the festive period. Uh, I'll read into that what you will, but then again, he's a local man who regularly goes to the games anyway. And so it, it could be, you know, look at it, as I say, you can look at that and uh, draw your own conclusions. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Culverhouse and Bastock, who are, by the sounds of things, happy to, looking to get back into football, may well apply for the role. I haven't had it confirmed by anybody, but uh, it, it wouldn't be a surprise. And I think a lot of fans would like to see them. I'm seeing some fans suggesting you know, they would like to see Kevin Wilkin. But I mean, you know, we would all like to see Kevin Wilkin many at many clubs, but uh, he's doing a very good job at Brackley and uh, you'd have to be a, a crazy man to walk away from there right now. And I think maybe that's just uh, Boston fans looking at the table and thinking who's doing a good job here. Billy Heath, another who always gets uh, his name mentioned because he's he lives roughly locally, as it were. For in, well, no one lives locally to Boston these days, but uh, he lives you know, in a, in a drivable range. And he's always been uh, somebody who's had promotions on his CV, knows this league and has always seemed to annoy Boston and get one over them in the long run. The truth is, whether we like it or not, we're all actually, in, although in different colours, very same people who want this very same thing from a very similar football club run by very similar people who are all giving up their time and effort to try and do the best for that club. That was Duncan Brown and uh, Dickie. Um, what do you think in terms of Boston United on the way forward? They're in a healthy enough position going into the second half of the season. Yeah, I think Duncan touched on it in that in that conversation in that Craig Elliott, um, as, as much as he has left, he's left Boston United compared to where they were when they took over, obviously it's a disappointment to him that he's not going to be able to, uh, to see the job through. But realistic and presented with a, a lot of mess to sort out. Um, if anything, Craig Elliott's sort of taken him through that period of they've moved to the new structure. Um, and yeah, I think whoever whoever takes that role, and, and I can only assume it's um, that the, they can make the playoffs and that they still have a, a shot at promotion is the reason that he's made the change now. Um, has got something good to work with. So uh, 
Well, from the outside looking in, if the new manager comes in, coming in can sort out their, their, their defence, then they may just make those playoffs because they are incredibly on minus four goal difference in seventh place. Just behind them are a side who started the season on fire and have dropped away a little bit, but a good three points for them, Kurz and Ashton. And that was more comfortable than the scoreline suggests, wasn't it, Dickie? Because they were 3 0 up uh, in the 51st minute and it was only a couple of late consolations in the end for Blythe. Yeah, it was. And uh, it's a much needed um, win for, for Adam Lakeland as he's taken over. They have been picking up points um, from draws, but that. That's a, a really welcome resilience in the second half. And I think that the, the two Blythe goals just made it. But yeah, that, that, that's a good result for them yesterday. Now, if you are a Telford fan, then obviously yesterday would have been frustrating for the fact that Telford's game was off. But uh, 21st and 20th place. And there have been probably some relief, Dickie, that uh, Guiseley lost 2-1 at uh, Spennymore, who remained just two points and one place outside the playoffs. Uh, and Farsley Celtic, you don't wish this on any team, do you? But they lost 6-0 at home to Darlington yesterday. Another side who've got to play off Isley and for Farsley, who would have been desperate yesterday to pull a little bit further clear of Telford. Yeah, they would have been. Um, I think it's, it's unfortunately, it's Farsley's second defeat of the season by a margin of 6-0 after they got they got beat at Spennymoor um, probably in about September time. Um, it, yeah, it's tough times for them at the moment. Lakeland left to go back to Curzon Ashton. Um, I think minus their top scorer, um, Luke Charman is serving both of them for violent conduct. Um, I also think Darlington are preparing to lose him as well. Um, I think it, that there, there is interest from other clubs. Um, and, they, and on that basis, they brought in Tyrone O'Neill back on loan. He, he's somebody who's had, had them 3-0 up. And yeah, they didn't take their foot off the gut in, in the second half. Goals from O'Neill. There was one from Kevin Dos Santos. Can't remember who the, 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 the other scorer was in that game for Darlington. But yeah, a really good victory for Alan, Alan Armstrong's side. Bradford Park Avenue are not too far away from the bottom, but uh, they've got just about enough points to fill Lichester. Um, and that's not a result that many... Under Steve Watts, new manager bounce that, that you're looking for when you make a new appointment. They were three games unbeaten. That came to a halt yesterday. A goal from Brad Doherty. I think it's his fifth of the season for, for Bradford Park Avenue. He's been a, a, a bright spark for them this season. Um, and to that victory to, to get some much needed points for Bradford they've got on their plate at the moment obviously there's um, it's you probably won't have failed to notice that there's this dispute that's happened should actually be playing behind closed doors because uh, their ground actually lying within Wales uh, yeah there's there's just so many of them um, and we don't want to be you know really venturing too much into the the politics of this although I do my, my personal opinion is that, is that that politics is at the heart of that it really comes down to one of two things really doesn't it you know should the rules should they abide by the rules of the country that they're in or the football league that they play in they're in the English football league but technically the vast majority is set I think in the last pandemic uh, you know they followed the, the the English rules I don't see why it should suddenly switch to the Welsh but uh, who are we to get involved in those arguments um, they are due Chester to play at home to the league leaders Brackley whether that one takes place uh, one or two games in midweek as well. On Monday night, Bradford Park Avenue take on Gateshead. We'll be looking to bounce back quickly. And in the National League, Halifax will play at home to Grimsby and Telford are due to play Curzon Ashton on Tuesday. Is that off already or might that one go ahead? No, that one's, that one's not going ahead uh, because of Telford's uh, COVID issues. That one's already been called off. We spoke there about Farsley Celtic and, and their sick. Right, where, where is the, the, the plex fixture? They're awake, Kidderminster there. Um, uh, obviously, the must be massive to bounce back from a 6-0 defeat, but maybe Kidderminster, they'll know who they've got in the, the fourth round. Good stuff. Guys, it's been great uh, this week. I've really enjoyed it. It's been fun. Thank you for having me on and uh, hopefully no, it's brilliant. not my last. Do come again and join us when you can. Also, uh, if you get the opportunity to catch a little bit of audio from down there in the southwest from uh, from Playmore, please do send it through. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us once again on the NL Full Time Podcast. You can subscribe to us on all good pop podcasting platforms. 
Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's goodbye from me and, and goodbye from you, Dickie. Yes, goodbye, Rob. And uh, Joe, really good to be in your company this morning.